Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13. This is the parable that Jesus told of the weeds among the wheat. We begin at verse 24. Listen for the word of God. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And continuing at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us hear today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. The sermon this morning is going to focus on the Genesis passage that Lynette read earlier. The passage that I just read in Matthew is an important and I think related passage that we actually won't look at directly. But I would have you consider this parable in terms of good and evil residing in us and among us and the harvest that happens at the end of time. But we'll look at Genesis. Living the dream is a phrase we hear regularly to capture the idea that a person is happy and successful I don't know how common that phrase is in other countries, but 
Here in the US, it seems to be fairly common. This is the country where dreams come true, a place where you can be propelled to the good life, the good life defined by financial security, health, a supportive spouse, a nice place to live, perhaps one or two above average children, and a cadre of wonderful friends. The key element for most people is independence and control over their lives. Doing what you want to do on your own terms. Yes, indeed, living the dream. But of course, things happen and dreams get derailed. Martin Luther King Jr. commented, quote, shattered dreams are a hallmark of our mortal life, unquote. So what happens to our dream of the good life when our health fails, or we lose a spouse to death or divorce, or our children have challenges over which we have no control, or we have to move from the home we have grown to love, or friends die or move away, or we simply see our independence erode with advancing years. The Old Testament story about the patriarch Jacob describes God's presence in his life when he was afraid and vulnerable. The Matthew passage speaks about God claiming the harvest of our lives where good and evil are coexisting. Now imagine that you have left your home and are in fear for your life. You suspect God is disappointed in you and you feel disoriented. That is Jacob's situation. The story of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, the grandson of the great patriarch Abraham, is full of surprises. He is the second of twins to be delivered. His brother Esau is the firstborn, and therefore Esau is the son who should inherit his father's estate. But you'll recall from Genesis 25 and 27, that Jacob uses deception to cheat Esau first out of his birthright, offering him some delicious stew when Esau is famished from the field. And he also cheats him then out of his blessing from his father. Listen to the blessing that was meant for Esau that Jacob receives from his almost blind father, Isaac. May people serve you and nations bow to you. Be your brother's superior. May your mother's sons bow to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Certainly that was an Old Testament version of now I want you to go and live the dream. Now when Isaac realizes that he has given his blessing to the wrong son, you'll find in scripture that he trembles greatly. I'm sure he realizes that he has just changed the course of history. 
Esau, for his part, cries out bitterly, Is there not a blessing for me, Father? Unfortunately, there isn't much of one. Jacob is the conniving trickster who deserves our and God's condemnation. He is now, it would appear, living the dream, but it's a dream stolen from his brother. Living the dream except that Jacob has had to leave home for fear of his life. He's vulnerable. He has no idea what the future actually holds for him. He has gained material security when his father passes away, but he has had to give up home and family. On his way to stay with his uncle Laban in order to escape death at the hands of his brother Esau, Jacob stops for the night. He lies down on the ground with a large stone for a pillow and has a dream. But this is not any ordinary dream. This is a vision of God, a meeting with the sacred. It is unanticipated and unexpected. God is getting Jacob's attention. The purpose of this encounter, though, is not to condemn Jacob for his behavior. It's not even to ask Jacob to change course. Instead, God reminds Jacob that he is part of something greater, greater than himself, and God is with him in a future that belongs to God. We see a contrast between the blessing that can be taken or controlled and a blessing of well-being given as a gift. God reminds Jacob that the only blessing that counts is God's blessing, and the promise he can count on is God's promise to be with him. God says, and here I am with you, and I'll watch over you wherever you go. If you read the rest of Jacob's story, you'll see that there are challenges he will face in life. Jacob's life is full of conflicts. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, comments that there is, quote, a dark power at work in the life of Jacob, unquote. This dark power is continually overwhelming goodness in Jacob. And Jacob recognizes this. You can look in Genesis 32, verse 10, to see where Jacob confesses his unworthiness in God's sight. But the covenant promise of God's presence and care is given to his grandfather Abraham, to his father Isaac, and to himself to reinforce its permanence through the generations. Jacob is imperfect and undeserving, but God has given him a purpose and reason for being that has nothing to do with acquisitions, and it comes in spite of all in Jacob that is undesirable and negative. It is all about living with confidence in God's blessing. Living the dream is to believe that God has blessed a person, Jacob, you, me, 
blessed a person to be a blessing to others because God's claim upon that person is the important thing and not the individual's claim upon God. Let's look more deeply at Jacob's vision. What is it telling about the relationship between God and all of us? between heaven and earth, between eternal life and everyday life. Here is Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau's anger and threats. He has created a terrible situation for himself. His dreams of security have been shattered in spite of a powerful blessing from his father. The dream or vision he has at Bethel reveals to him a new reality. He sees the connection between earth and heaven, and he hears God's covenantal blessing. Heaven and earth are connected by a ladder or ramp with divine beings ascending and descending, meaning that earth and heaven are not independent realities. This is an amazing revelation. Suddenly now, as Brueggemann points out, a future with God makes sense. A future with God is a reasonable expectation. Furthermore, Jacob then finds God standing over him, extending the covenant of blessing to him. God had, excuse me, Jacob had not sought this out. God's appearance is unexpected and unanticipated. In his time of great need, Jacob receives reassurance that God's promise for care and a future with God can be depended upon. As Brueggemann has also stated, Jacob's dream permits entry of an alternative future with God. It is not a future that Jacob had considered. He simply wanted to escape his brother's wrath, but it is a future to which he and we must be continually open. Living the dream should be about God's intention for each one of us. Living the dream should be about God's intention for you individually and as a community of faith. So what is this future with God? How does this speak to each one of us today? When we have created a future for ourselves and find ourselves vulnerable and disappointed in the future we see, what does it mean to claim and be claimed by an alternative future with God? Delving deeply into Jacob's story gives me these three convictions. First, God's visits to Jacob, like his visits to us, are unexpected and unanticipated. We cannot manipulate God's presence. Rather, we wait patiently for the God who comes to us to confirm God's love for us. This hope and patient waiting is, as Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans, the hallmark of faith. 
We must be attentive to these God moments, whether they come during sleep or wakefulness. It could be a moment when we suddenly and unexpectedly perceive our oneness with nature. It could be a moment when we experience unconditional love and the meaning that gives to our living. It is a moment of connection. It is a moment of affirmation of our value to God. The second conviction is that God's promise is a covenant. There are obligations on both sides. God gives Jacob land and descendants. He promises to bless all the families of the earth through Jacob. He promises to be with Jacob and watch over him wherever he goes and bring him home and never leave him until God accomplishes all that he has promised. Jacob, for his part, promises to make the God of history his God and pay attention to what he owes to God. Jesus Christ extended this covenant to all humankind to the ends of the earth. It is not tied to land, but in all other respects it is the same covenant, a covenant of grace and presence. It is also permanent, unlike human covenants that are typically time-limited and conditional. Finally, this alternative future with God has no end in time. It is a future based on God's promise to remain connected to Jacob and his descendants and all of us through Christ until God accomplishes all that God intends. It is a future in which God and we are co-creators as we are guided and sustained by the Holy Spirit. It is a future dependent not on our abilities, but on our attention to God's presence. It is about recognizing this closeness between heaven and earth, even as we observe all the troubles and brokenness of this world. We acknowledge this connection whenever we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is to experience the power of unconditional love to bring meaning into situations of hopelessness. We must treasure those moments when we feel God's presence and we must try to remain open to God's future. I began with a description of shattered dreams. That phrase came from a man who had a dream, more a vision of a world where he said, quote, my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Unquote. In a sermon entitled Shattered Dreams, Dr. King made this statement. Our capacity to deal creatively with shattered dreams is ultimately determined by our faith in God. 
This faith, ha- this faith has its foundation on hope in a future God creates with humanity, with us. Jacob experienced this promise of an alternative future and it gave him courage to follow God's leading and not despair. Our challenge is to believe as those claimed by Jesus Christ believe in that same covenant promise that assures us of God's care in this life and beyond this life. Most of us at times struggle to hold on to hope when the life we have valued has radically changed by diminished abilities or illness or disease or trauma or dislocation. Our challenge is to imagine a future with God that depends for its hopefulness not on our control, but on God's presence. The God who doesn't control our future, but promises to be with us in it. Then we set aside our personal disappointments to recognize God's intention for us. The challenge is to be attentive this week to God moments when we have a vision of God's loving presence and the close proximity of the sacred to us. It may be in this worship space, it may be during a ministry like food cupboard or dining room ministry or rain. It may be the sight of a flower that is broken through concrete. Be attentive to every moment when you experience the proximity of heaven and earth, the sacred and our everyday life. And may we all live with hope into the future that God travels with us. Amen.